Hey, we're Phil and Meredith, and we're the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're excited to be coming to you through this platform today. We hope that your heart is encouraged, that your faith is stirred by what God speaks to you today. God bless you. Enjoy the message. I'm coming to you today with this message here on this Father's Day weekend. You're hearing a lot about a lot of things, but there needs to come a word that strengthens the hearts of our men. I want to tie a couple things together. Please give me a moment to do it with a strong prayer for all of our guys, all of our men, not just fathers. Some will become fathers. Some are sons. Some are cousins and uncles. Some are friends. This is a good moment. It's a good moment for you to hit this share button before I get moving into this because once I get moving into it, I'm not coming back. And I'm moving into this word because some time ago I did hear this phrase that, that men were coming into the direction of God. And uh, some of you know that the Everyman Weekend has been something that we've done for a number of years in strengthening and gathering our guys together and to let them be faith forward and family forward. And so I, I want to drop this word on you here and I'm going to put a few things together. It goes like this. The first thing that you have to know is that truth is parallel. Truth is parallel. That, that, that's because we live in two worlds at the same time. We live simultaneously in the natural world, the world of material things, and then we live in a spiritual world. We do, we do this simultaneously. Man is the only creature that lives in two worlds at the same time. Because we live in two worlds at the same time, they parallel each other. That means that, uh, that sometimes uh, the, something is in the spirit uh, and we don't know it until it manifests in the natural. Sometimes things are happening in the natural and we don't know that it has a spiritual corollary to it. But we, we understand the concept that truth is parallel because we see as it relates to the word, we have the logos or the written word, the material part of the word, and we have the rhema, which is <clears throat> the spoken part of the word. Uh, we, we live in this world. Jesus comes walking on the seashore because it's the place where two worlds come together. The land and the sea come together because he is the person in which two worlds come together in. This, this is an interesting thing because we have a visible world and we have an invisible world that we live in at the same time. Sometimes the Bible uses for us the like principle, the like principle. The like principle is when God is trying to teach me something that I don't know, he may start with something that I do know. When he's trying to show me something that's invisible, he starts with something I'm familiar with that is visible. So, for example, he can say the kingdom of heaven is like. And then there's an analogy and symbolism that lets me know something about the kingdom of God by comparing it to something that I already know something about. As it relates to men, Psalms 1 says that the good man and the blessed man is like, like a tree planted by the rivers of water, and his leaf doesn't wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. This is the like principle. I say that because truth is parallel. Truth is parallel, and I'm going to show you a few things right here. That, that every time that there is uh, about to be deliverance, or numbers of times there have been about deliverance, there has been some kind of an attack spiritually that manifests naturally against the lives of our men. Because when men 
are misplaced and displaced and not in their place, then we find out that it has an effect throughout a generation and throughout communities, and throughout families, has, has an effect. I thought about the fact that when the children of the promise were under the oppressive power of Pharaoh, that because they cried out to God, that God was going to send them a deliverer. And even though the deliverer had not yet been physically born, was not manifest, something in the atmosphere, because through this parallel, caused there to be an understanding and they, they begin to kill all of the firstborn male children. Moses was preserved, but because he was a deliverer and it was the time for deliverance, there was an attack against men. I want you to think, I want you to think that this is the same thing that happened when there came an understanding uh, that, that Jesus was going to be born, the deliverer, the deliverer, and, and the Christ to be born. But when you don't know what something is, and when you don't know exactly where it's at, sometimes there comes a disturbance in the atmosphere, and other, other males who were not the deliverer were actually assassinated, killed, all of those things. There went out that decree from, that said, that every male child under the age of three was to, be, was to be killed. Jesus, of course, was preserved. Then there came a word to his parents to get up and to go. My point is, one, that there is an attack upon our men. We have to understand that, that there's an attack upon men. So let me put that there. Let me put that there. I want to add with it these, these seasons that we're in. Just watch me for a minute now. COVID-19 that has swept the world has, is, is a disease that, that affects the respiratory system. This is the main thing. It goes into the respiratory system and people, some people end up on ventilators, some people get pneumonia and they, and they say if you already have an asthmatic condition or something like that, then you're even at a greater risk. COVID-19 attacks the respiratory system. Watch. God's first contact with man was that he breathed into man the breath of life and then man became. That means man came to be. <laughs> yeah, man became, he came to be a living soul. COVID-19 attacks respiratory system. God's first contact with man was to breathe into man the breath of life. It came to me when all of us heard the words that came out of the mouth of George Floyd that when he said, I can't breathe, he said, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And when he said that, it reminded me that truth is parallel. That sometimes what you don't hear from the spirit, you hear in the natural to remind you of something that potentially is happening in the spirit which is there is an attack against the, be, the ability to breathe because the Bible said, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. God's first contact with Adam was to breathe mankind, to breathe into him the breath of life so that he could come to be. And now we put together the attack against men 
we put together the lack the attack against our our breath and our breathing and i begin to realize that men are suffocating men are suffocating being robbed of their breath suffocating under loads of economic trouble suffocating because they don't know how to stand up or have help under pressure men are suffocating because they don't have sometimes the familial relationships that women have and it is an attack of the enemy to try to squeeze out and to strangle out the breath on a generation of men and I've come to declare to you that if there's an attack against our men if there is an attack against our breath then that means that somewhere in the spirit that our adversary even knows that God is about to raise up a generation of leaders some young some old some red some yellow some black some white some in america some in mexico some in africa but there's a generation because if the movement against us against our breath is global pandemic if the if the marches against injustice are global they're covering the world if if people are marching or walking and praying all of those things in every city that tells me that when god pours out his spirit and he breathes into us this breath of life that is coming that it's not going to be in one county and it's not going to be in one building but it's going to be a global thing and there is coming a global movement that men are going to rise up and realize that the attack against them cannot stand because God is about ready to bring a generation of men to their place so that we can have societies that will do what God wants them to do that's your place to put a thumbs up right there that's that's your place to do this men sometimes are suffocating because it is it is the deep need of men to receive affirmation from fathers and if it's not even just a father then it also has to be from the other men in their life men has that have that great need for affirmation Think about this, think about this. Jesus was 30 years old and he was baptized. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened, spirit descends like a dove. And then the voice of the father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. It is, it is an innate need in, in the male to have the affirmation of the father or the affirmation of other men watch this when Jesus gets up from the Jordan River he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness watch the and the first the first words watch the last word that came from heaven was this is my son the first word the enemy speaks against him in the wilderness is if you are the son the enemy will always challenge the identity of men and if you don't understand who God made you to be, then you're not able to survive the wilderness experience when it is being challenged. I am convinced that Jesus was able to sustain himself in the wilderness experience being challenged by the enemy because the last thing he heard from heaven was you are my son. And so now the enemy comes and says, if you are the son of God, then take the stones and turn them into bread. That's what suffocates men. Sometimes you have to know how to get through that wilderness of, of economic situations, trying to get that bread from stones. 
And then he said, why don't you go up to the temple and cast yourself off? Which is the second temptation, but it also has to do with this understanding that for our societies and our families to be proper, men have to find their right place in the church. And then he says, if you will go up to a mountain and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus answers again that you shall worship the Lord your God only. The issue of worship has to be settled with men. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of step over here in a minute because if, if faith is to us a hobby, if faith is to us recreation, if faith is to us entertainment, then we have lost the battle in the wilderness. And everything that encroaches upon the glory and the purpose of God comes under the position where eventually it's going to be touched. I don't, I don't know if you have ears to hear this. I'm speaking to you as mature. I'm speaking to you whether you're a, a woman who has men in, in your life, your sons and your cousins and your fathers and husbands and all of these things. But, but you have to hear this because we've had a generation of men that put sports in front of God. But a generation of men that put in entertainment in front of God. We have a generation of men that put everything in front of God. And all of a sudden, in the middle of all this trouble, all of those things got shut down. The only thing that didn't get shut down, really, was God and the kingdom of God. The issue of worship becomes settled. Because when the issue of worship becomes settled, then we can move the next generation into their proper place. Just stick with me just for a minute. Just for a minute. I want you to hear this. Because when Jesus settles that, the last one, the issue of worship, then the Bible says, then Satan departed from him for a season. Could it be, could it be that what is going to cause you to come out of the season you're in and come into the season being free from attack? is settling the issue of worship. Starting with your economic things. Starting next then with your place in the house of God. Then moving into the place of understanding worship. What an amazing thing. This is the affirmation of the Father that got Jesus through his wilderness experience. Satan departs from him for a season and he returns in the power, the breath, the pneuma of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm still on this. I'm still on this. I'm still on this because I realized that uh, Joseph, Joseph was able to dream. Joseph was able to dream because of the affirmation of his father. His father covered him in a coat of many colors, a coat of favor. It became the outward symbol of the spiritual concept that the affirmation of a father or the father can create a space uh, one generation of men can create a space for another generation of men to dream their dreams and even under his attack from his false brothers or half brothers rather that uh, and they and they thought if they took that code off of him that they could rob him of his dream the thing about it is is once you have the coat on the outside 
and you get it down on the inside you don't have to have the coat to know that you still have favor and I believe that there's something that, that we have the capacity to do so I speak first of all to the men of whatever age you may be uh, 40 and up that we should be looking for someone that is 40 and under so that we can speak to them and so that we can encourage them and so that we can put a coat around them so that they have the capacity to dream and to believe this this blessing is interesting I'm almost to my last part this 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 thing is interesting to me because if you go back to to Abraham I'm talking to the fathers now one of the things that you have to learn is that paternity a paternity test means you you tell where something comes from not based on the female but based on the seed that's a paternity test <laughs> one of the things that that men learn is that your seed does not belong to everybody God has a designated place for your seed to reproduce Abraham you know God gives him this great promise and it seemed like it was taking too long so Abraham sowed his seed to Hagar but Abraham's seed does not belong to Hagar it belongs to Sarah so because his seed was in the wrong place he produces Ishmael and then he waits some time and then the son of the promise came Isaac from Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac have been at odds ever since what, what I'm trying to tell you is it took me a long time to realize that my seed I'm not talking about physical seed now I'm talking about the words that I'm speaking like I'm speaking to you my seed does not belong to everybody what I mean is that there are words I preach to everyone but for numbers of years I would sit with with pastors and leaders after meetings that I would preach and sometimes they would just ask me questions or for counsel and I found out that if if they weren't called to me if I wasn't in right uh, relationship or we weren't like knit together they were just putting my voice out there with everybody else's voice and they took just enough of what I said to produce Ishmael's that had enough of my DNA on it that I couldn't deny it but it wasn't really my son of the promise you have to know who you're listening to because words are seeds words are seeds and so Isaac goes to the mountain Abraham begets Isaac Isaac has two boys that are twins and two boys that are twins and um, they, they were wrestling with each other from the womb it's a dangerous thing to be hungry and then to go to the wrong person to satisfy your hunger I want to say that again it's a dangerous thing to be hungry and go to the wrong person to satisfy your hunger Esau is out in the field and um, Jacob is cooking he walks out there and Esau is hungry he's hungry and Jacob says I'll give you this bowl of stew trade you for your birthright and because Esau was hungry he went to the wrong person and then it's dangerous to have a hungry father watch a hungry father cannot feed 
a hungry son. A hungry father cannot feed a hungry son. So here's what happens. When it comes time to pronounce the birthright and the blessing, when it comes, when it comes time to do that, then Isaac says, I'm hungry. And he says to Esau, I'm hungry. Go get, go get what I like to eat because he was a person of the field. And he went out. And while he was trying to satisfy the hunger of his father, he lost his blessing because he was busy trying to satisfy the hunger of his father. It's a dangerous thing to have a hungry father because you can't, satis you can't feed sons that are hungry when the father himself is hungry. Being old does not make you a father. Being young does not make you a son. It's, it's a relational understanding. This is my scripture really uh, for today as I'm, as I'm kind of putting it towards the end out of 1 Corinthians 4 where it says, though you have 10,000 instructors, you don't have many fathers. And this, this is where we're at. That we live in a time when everybody is an expert. Everybody claims to be a father. Uh, they haven't built anything. They haven't done anything. But they claim to be a father. And then other people claim to be sons. But they're, they're, just, they're just agenda seekers. They, they, they're not able to receive correction. They're not able to receive instruction. They're not able... Any of these things. It's a dangerous thing when hungry sons... And hungry fathers connect. It becomes the situation of Esau where Esau loses his blessing and his birthright because it's a terrible thing to be a hungry son and be connected to a hungry father. To really be able to father someone, to teach and mentor someone, you can't be hungry for platforms. You can't be hungry for applause. You can't be hungry. You, you don't have to have any hunger. So let's, let's go to the New Testament on this because... There's another story of two sons. Two sons and a father. Two sons and a father. Two sons and a father. <laughs> and the, the younger son, we call him the prodigal, says, um, why don't you give to me my inheritance and let me go? So the father did. He gave him his inher inheritance and he went and he had the season of riotous living. This is the thing that people who are supposed to be connected to fathering anointing need to know that whenever, whenever there is an improper breaking of those that God calls to be your fathers, this could be individual, but it's also generational. It's also generational. When there's a breaking of those that are called to be your fathers and all we have is instructors and teachers and some people who think they're prophets and some people who are, are, are back, backyard prophets and some people who are dashboard prophets and some people who are semi-psychic prophets and all that and, and people just going after anything. But, but where are the fathers? Where are the fathers? Because you have 10,000 instructors, but where are the fathers? And when, when the generation does not have fathering anointing, they end up in a season of riotous living, riotous living. That means for a moment, for a moment, the son looks like something that he's not. He looks like he knows something about money. He looks like he has a lot of friends. He's in a season of riotous living. But there came the convergence of events because truth is parallel. <laughs> the convergence of events went like this. He ran out of money at the same time that a famine hit the land. 
convergence of events because truth is parallel. When he ran out of money and the famine hit, he then joined himself. Watch, he joined himself to a citizen of the far country. And when you join yourself to the wrong people after you have not received the anointing of the fathers and the famine hits when you run out of money, you end up in the pig pen. And I used to tell people, still tell them, that when you break improperly with fathering anointings, a pig pen is in your future. <laughs> still on my point. When he got in that pig pen, watch this. Remember what I told you? It's a dangerous thing to have a hungry father. And I told you that hungry fathers can't teach hungry sons. And I said that hungry sons and hungry fathers, when they get together, causes a generation to lose their blessings and their birthrights. Now watch this. This famine has been in the land, most Bible scholars will tell you, for a number of years. I mean, to such a degree that people are starving, that we know they have to be starving because this young man is in a pig pen and he's ready to eat the pig food. Even though he had not been home for years, and even though there is a famine so great, the words out of his mouth indicates that he knows something. I'll bet you my father is not hungry. Oh my gosh. I just said something. He had enough knowing of who his father was to know I don't serve a hungry father. I'll bet you that even the servants in my father's house have bread to eat. Even though he hadn't been home and other people are starving, he said, I don't serve a hungry father. And I know, I know that there's something in, in my father's house for me to eat. And I will, I will arise and I'll get up and I'll go to my father, all of those things. What he didn't know was not only did the servants have bread to eat, but, but they, they have calves. They have cows they're eating. There has to be because he's, he specifies the calf that, that, that is saved for his son's return. They call that one the fatted calf. You don't have to call it the fatted calf if it's the only one that you have. But if you have a bunch of cows and cattle, he said, in other words, he said, I know that my father is not hungry. We're coming into a place where we understand that the only ability then to be able to put a ring on his hand, to put shoes on his feet, to put a robe on him, and to restore his position is because he served a father who was not hungry. He didn't need to hear what the neighbors had to say about it. He, he didn't have to have the, the older son's approval. He didn't have to have anybody else's permission because he wasn't hungry at that place in his life. So, last story. Last story. When Israel's children are getting ready to go into the land the first time, they sent spies into the land under Moses. Here's what he said. He said, get a man, get a man from every tribe. Get a man from every tribe. And when you get a man from every tribe, I want you to send them into the land. Here comes my point. Here comes my point. When they came back after their time there, 10 of them had an evil report, right? And then Caleb and Joshua had a good report. That that a different spirit. The Bible said that when they said we can't do it because the giants are in the land, that it caused the hearts of the people to melt. Caleb and Joshua said we are able. 
Let us go up at once and we can do this. The people who had never seen the land, watch this now. Those that were born in the wilderness had never been in bondage, yet they had never seen the land. Their only opinion of the promise of God was what their fathers, what their men told them. And the men so focused on the giants and the walled cities that they didn't focus on the land that flows with milk and honey. And they didn't flow on the promise, they didn't focus on the promise of God. And it caused the young people's heart, the next generation, all the people's hearts melted because of what their men told them. What I'm trying to tell you is that if you are leading anything, if you are leading anything, that you have to understand that, that, that the, the destiny of the next generation is affected by the, by the estimation of the situation of those who are now in positions of authority. We can speak faith to them and say, we are able. We can do this. These giants are coming down. These walls are coming down. We will possess the promises that God gave us. And when we do that, people's hearts stand up. They stand up. They stand up. But if all you can focus on is the problem rather than the God who is behind the problem, if, all that, if we speak negative words and we speak words of death rather than life over a generation of people, then we realize that they had to walk it out because their hearts melted. Their hearts melted and they were not able to possess the land. And they had to walk with them until all of the doubt died all of the doubt died I declare to you that there's a generation standing up right now and we are speaking life to you I, I, all, you don't even have to see where you're going <laughs> all you have to do is have an ear to hear when, um, when my son whose name is Stephen Michael. My name is Michael Stephen. His name is Stephen Michael. He was my little traveling buddy when he was in his early teens, especially we went all over the world together, Africa. And we were in Israel one time and we had a, there was a large group of people and we were doing some meetings in Israel. And he was in a lot of church, a lot of time. He had a little, he was about this tall, I guess. And, um, white-haired kid the the meetings that we were having I could always see his little white head running around and then people wanted to talk to me sometimes as we were walking down certain streets and seeing certain artifacts and going to certain uh, attractions and tourist things and temples and things and there would be there was hundreds of us there was hundreds of us and I didn't want him to have to uh, you know you know just stand there and hear my conversations the whole time because you know that's not what you want to do at that age and I want him to be able to see and all that kind of a thing but I didn't want to lose him I didn't want to lose him <laughs> so we had this agreement and it was just an easy agreement because if I was talking to someone or walking down the street or looking at a particular artifact every so often I just go out loud I do like this I'd say my boy and all I had to hear coming back to me was my dad and I'd walk a little further and go around and I'd say, my boy. And I was listening for my dad. Because my thing was, as long 
as you can hear me. Mm -hmm. And as long as I can hear you, then I can get to you. But if I said, my boy, and I don't hear something coming back, now I go to looking. Now I go to scrambling. Because even though he may be too short or around the corner or something, he didn't have to always be able to see me or to know where we're going long as he can still hear my voice. You know what you hear where I'm going with this right now. You don't always have to know where God is taking you as long as you can hear him calling my boy. Long as he's calling my son. As long as he's wrapping you in a coat of favor. As long as you know that our father that is in heaven is not hungry and nobody in our father's house I promise you is starving because he gives us this day our daily bread and there are prodigals coming home today there are sons that hear God calling them there are men are rising up and becoming strong and I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you that this is your day this is your time you might be in your wilderness experience it might seem to you like you're trying to take stones and turn it into bread. You know, sometimes that's what we call money, turn it into bread. You haven't found your place in the, in the, in the, the structure of God, the temple, the church structure. You haven't found your place there. Where do you fit? And maybe what you worshiped is, is, not, is, not, is not what God wanted you to worship. Maybe you gave too much time and energy into other things that you didn't realize until it got shut down we actually had we actually had some uh, some people that I was talking to that realized when things got shut down see, see to me I'm always looking for the good part I'm looking for the good part because God knows how to extract good out of evil he doesn't send the evil he just pulls he reaches in and pulls good up out of it and I started thinking about some families that had not spent a lot of time together and realize, man, we've just been running all over the place. Some people were telling us that they didn't realize how much time and attention they were giving to hobbies, and entertainment, recreation, all of those things. And they had just kind of dropped faith right in that same stew. Sometimes it was about recreation. Sometimes Sundays or other gathering times were about, well, church is a hobby, but we have other hobbies and all of those things. And when everything else got shut down, all of a sudden they realized maybe, maybe we had kind of got out of balance with that because that becomes the last test. What are you worshiping? And Jesus settled that based on the affirmation of the Father. The enemy departed him from him for a season. And I'm going I'm to speak a word here that someone who even in this, in this time that we're in in this time that we're in that the enemy is going to depart from you for a season because this issue is going to get settled this issue is going to get settled I think men cannot be invisible men cannot be silent men have to be present and it's so important for the young men to see the older men it's so important for 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 the the, the teenagers to see guys standing and worshiping and serving God with all of their hearts I'm gonna pray this prayer in about one minute in about one minute I'm gonna pray a prayer that the season of your enemy harassing you is going to leave because of the coat the covering 
the affirmation of the fathering anointing that is coming into your life not from a hungry father and that you won't be a hungry son I hope that message meant something to you and that it means something in your days to come. Yeah, if this message has blessed you and you want to sow into the ministry of Cornerstone Church, you can do so from wherever you are today. Just simply jump on our website at cornerstone.church and you can find the link there so that you can give in whatever way is most convenient to you. And we'll see you back here next time.